Welcome to Teach Me Something, the podcast where I, you know, look up and research all those things that maybe you think are cool, but you can't be bothered to look up yourself. It's a good service. Uh, I'm Melissa. And I'm Everett. So first, I'd like to start by apologizing for the late upload this week. I know I try to get them up on the weekends, but it was not happening. Kids' birthdays and life and all that kind of got in the way. Um, and I know you must be on the edge of your seats waiting to find out the conclusion of part four and final part of our Poison Squad series. Well, this is the reason that we waited and put it out late. Oh, it's a cliffhanger. Yeah, to increase the tension. Mm. So I hope you're feeling you all the tension. Yeah, exactly. We all know politics are the most exciting game in town. Historical politics, too. Huh? Everyone loves that. Including squads? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the flashy language maybe is a bit of a cover-up for how boring this might be, but... <laughs> okay, fair um, enough. I hope, you, I hope you at least have a sense of closure by the end of this episode. That's what I hope. Got it. Um, so last week, we ended by talking about the Neil Reynolds report. We did. Um, and the basic summary of that, if you don't remember, is that President Roosevelt's independent investigators, who were Neil and Reynolds, of course... Well-named. Mm-hmm. You know, good name for that report, yeah. yeah. Visited the Chicago stockyards and found the conditions and filth to be quite revolting, even after the meatpacking companies had cleaned things up. That's always a good sign. Yeah. That's what they thought was clean, I guess. Yeah. That's appetizing. Okay. Well, how about you teach me something? All right. So let's start by talking about the reactions to or the continue by. report. It's not really the start anymore. No. No. You're correct. We'll continue to talk about the reactions because I, I dropped a little, you know, hint last Teaser. week. But, mm-hmm. um, well, the first reaction, for one, is that Neil and his family stopped eating meat. Except oh. for except for the meat they bought from their local farmer down the street directly. But other than that, they stopped eating meat. That's, that's how gross it was. Yeah. After they cleaned up. Yeah. Um, Roosevelt, on his part, decided to not publish the report. Really? He was going to sit on it. He was going to keep it to himself for now. He had some ideas. Maybe he could use it later, privately. He did, however, share it with a few of the members of Congress he really trusted. And he asked one of them to draft some legislation to make much stricter rules for meat inspections. Um, and this passed unanimously, unanimously in the Senate. And they sent it to the House. Was one of the rules, like, no bribes? Like, you actually have to go inspect or something like that? Uh, no. No, no, I think that was uh, an implied part of all of the laws. I don't think anyone makes a law that says you have to follow this law. I think that's the whole point of the law. I get it. It just sounds like it could have been beneficial in this case. You know, like call out the (laughs) elephant in the room, basically. I think the enforcement was the issue, not the law itself. Yeah, okay. Um, So as you remember, though, the meatpackers have extremely good allies in the House. Mm Mm-hmm. The House Committee on Agriculture is led by a wealthy farmer and cattle dealer named James Wadsworth. Oh. He is a rich person name. I'm just going to throw that right out there. Wads of cash. Wadsworth. Wadsworth filled the witness list for the, the you know, the committee where they talk about the bill. Yeah. Um, with executives from the packing houses and other meat industry representatives, which didn't leave any room on the witness list for dissenting opinions. Right. 
it's interesting all the ways they can get around, you know, yeah. get around things. And how how is this allowed? Um, so they spent most of the hearing mocking the jungle. You remember the jungle, the novel by Upton Sinclair, and the Neil Reynolds report. They're mm-hmm. all just making fun of it. Yeah. Um, the congressman representing the stockyards area that, you know, was the Chicago, in that area of Chicago, um, testified the packing houses were, quote, as clean and wholesome as any home kitchen. What does his kitchen look like? That is my question. Yeah. So he also accused the investigators of incompetence, saying that they were, quote, simply not smart enough to understand how a reputable business operates. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. This accusation also echoed from other witnesses. Uh, One meat company executive said, if a commission of men of average intelligence should investigate the meat producing businesses, they would find that they're conducted in a proper and sanitary manner. So some real shade being thrown to Neil and Reynolds here. Right. No fair. Um, so, of course, the House defeated this amendment. No changes. Wadsworth, Wadsworth, though, very nicely offered a counterproposal. Okay, your bill's good. Let's work with it. In my version, we're going to reduce the amount of inspections. We're going to reduce the penalties. And... Instead of the packing houses all paying into, so this bill, their idea was all the packing houses would pay into a fund from which the inspections were paid for. Okay. Okay. So that was the original proposal. Wadsworth wanted to, like I said, reduce inspections, reduce penalties, and he wanted the taxpayers to pay for the inspections. The meat, the meat packers should have no financial burden to finance these. Great. It's his opinion. So here comes Upton Sinclair again. He asked to testify before Congress at, you know, the committee, all this stuff. They, of course, no, the witness list was full. <laughs> Sorry. Um, oh, shucks. You just missed the list. <laughs> dang. <laughs> um, he, he knew the legislation was stalled and he didn't know how to help move it along. So he leaked a story to the press. Right. He, Roosevelt, so kindly, because of Upton Sinclair's, you know, role in kind of exposing all this, Roosevelt kindly told him a little bit about the Neil Reynolds report. So he leaked what he knew about it to the New York Times. And he brought them literally all the evidence he had collected from writing his book. All of it. And they had a field day. Like, they just started writing story to story. Um, their first most explosive article contained quotes from the report, like, quote, the pillars of the building were caked with flesh. In these packing houses, the meat is dragged about on the floor, spat upon and walked upon. It also contained quotes directly from Upton Sinclair, um, like in Armour's own establishment. So Armour's a big, you know, big player in okay. this industry. In Armour's own establishment, I saw with my own eyes the doctoring of hams that were so putrefied that I could not force myself to remain in their vicinity. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That sounds good for consumption. Yeah. So, um, to the surprise of no one, Roosevelt not thrilled with these developments. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he kind of felt like his hand was being forced. Well, yeah. So, grudgingly, he released an eight-page summary of the report to the New York Times for follow-up. So, at least they would be accurate. Um, the meat packers instantly started trying to discredit Roosevelt and saying he's clearly biased against us. Right, right? Like, all of his actions so far have been so biased against us. Good try. <laughs> um, he, Roosevelt, 
kind of like just lost his temper, like lost his temper with the whole situation. He was done with it. He was over it. He told the meat packers. He told their friends in Congress. He said, "Know that I am out of patience for this." <laughs> okay. I want meat inspection legislation on my desk, or I'm releasing the full report tomorrow. So, shockingly, it went a little easier after that. Yeah. Um, and the final nail in the coffin was the reaction from European nations. Um, after the jungle, on this kind of tell-all aspect to it, mm-hmm. and then they read these articles in the paper, um, they stopped important. They're, I don't know why they even accepted U.S. meat in the first place, to be honest, from what, what we've learned. But um, the British stopped importing canned meats from the U.S. Germany and France immediately halted the import of any meat product at all from the United States. Um, so this hit to the bottom line, it did the trick. Right. You got to hit him where it hurts, My right? Got to hit him in, yeah. your, in the wallet. That's, that's Ooh, what you got to do. right in the wallet. <laughs> so the women's clubs, women's groups, um, started another letter writing campaign and the AMA performed their little trick. Remember from last time? Their little trick of maybe like light extortion. I don't know what we decided on. Yeah. Um, to get the politicians to cooperate in the House. And Wiley spread his latest poison squad results around Congress. Roosevelt threatened some people behind the scenes. And there you go. That's all it takes. Yeah. Literally everyone losing their patience and all coming together and trying, to trying to pass bills 50 times. That's the thing with politics is uh, apparently you got to play dirty because on the other side's playing dirty. You cannot get anything done by following the rules. That's not frustrating at all, but that no. seems to be what happens. Um, and, you know, some stars aligning, some dumb luck, all that stuff, right? Sure. But there are some who say the pure food side compromised too much to get the bill passed. And I can't say I blame them. Like, did you see how hard it was to do literally anything? So, for instance, Wadsworth managed to delete the requirement that the meat companies fund the inspection program. Okay. Then he slashed the federal financing to $3 million a year for the inspection program, which sounds like a lot of money. But the lowest estimate of the cost of adequate inspections was around $6 million a year. Okay. So, he effectively made sure that inspections weren't going to happen anyways because they didn't have enough money for it. Right. And that funding was supposed to cover everything about, like, the prosecute, like, all of it. So it was half the money they needed for just the inspections. And then they needed money for, you know, prosecution, enforcement, anything. Who needs that, right? Uh, Wadsworth also removed the part of the bill where cans had to be marked with a date upon inspection. So now they could just recycle things that were really, really old. Um, so, so that, not good. That's what I'm trying to say. Not a good job. Right. But regardless, on June 30th, 1906, Roosevelt signed both the Meat Inspection Act and the Food and Drug Act. Newspapers began calling it Wiley's Law. Hmm. But Roosevelt very openly disagreed. He point blank refused to recognize Upton Sinclair because he now thought he was a crackpot. Apparently. Um, Oddly, he also refused to recognize Harvey Wiley publicly or privately. Interesting. Wiley even asked for a token memento. The senator that brought the bill got the pen. They signed it with all these things. Wiley inquired about a memento and 
Roosevelt really shut that down. You deserve nothing, basically. Um, Roosevelt said, quote, the pure food and drug bill became law purely because of the active stand I took in trying to get it through Congress. Other men were so fantastically impractical that they played right into the hands of their foes. That was widely believed to be about Harvey Wiley. Right. Okay. So impractical and so fantastically impractical. Um, so he was a bit of a jerk about it, shall I say. Wow. Fantastically impractical almost sounds like a compliment. Yeah, it does have the word fantastic. In yeah. It. It's like you were impractical. No, no, no. Fantastically impractical. So if you're looking at your podcast and you're thinking, okay, they passed the bill, so we're done. You've only been talking for 12 minutes. Mm-hmm. Fear not. We're not done. You would be wrong. Yeah. If you, like me, thought this was the end of the story, where they, you know, passed the bill successfully, you're overestimating the ability of politicians to work together for the public good. Or maybe you're underestimating how much politicians prioritize big business over public health and safety. Why not both, I think? Sure. Or just, yeah, just a lot of terrible insults I want to hurl that way because it's all so frustrating. I know it happened a long time ago, but I'm frustrated just reading about it. This is probably why I shouldn't read about current politics either. It's just so frustrating. So the new law failed to kind of set any standards. It was way too vague. It didn't specify what substances were harmful or in what amounts. Mm-hmm. Um, legislation had no um, no definitions, no specific numbers. Wiley was sure it was going to be exploited by the manufacturers. There's sure. one million loopholes already, and they haven't even started trying yet. Uh, unfortunately, though, another part of le- the legislation that had been cut was um, the direction to the agricultural department to craft a set of standards to follow. So the opposition managed to cut the part where someone was supposed to set standards. And now no one had the authority to set those standards because it wasn't in the bill. I see. (laughs) So Wiley tried several things, but he couldn't get the language reinstated into the bill, which means no one now can fix it. Like they somehow killed it, even though they passed it. Um, It didn't. Yeah. (laughs) And then the enforcement process. Um, as Wiley said, was nearly impossibly cumbersome. So basically, um, if the chemistry division found evidence of adulteration, they had to contact the business, um, which would then defend themselves in a hearing. If they were successful, the case was closed. And if it was found that there was enough evidence to go ahead Then the chemistry division had to refer the case to the DA, who may or may not take the case. And then there had to be a real trial. Um, And then they passed an amendment saying that if the chemistry department didn't do all this within three months, the the evidence is refused. Evidence had to be presented within three months of being collected. But they didn't have any money anymore to hire enough people to make that happen. Right. So it was, yeah. Um, Other language in the bill that was pretty objectionable was, quote, no dealer should be prosecuted for selling adulterated products if the businessman can produce a written guarantee from a manufacturer, wholesaler, or, quote, any other party residing in the United States. So let me break it down. Let me break it down for you, as one journalist complains. 
This means a note from the grocer's mother would serve to excuse him from selling fake or chemically risky products. I like how it starts with a written guarantee from the manufacturer, from the wholesaler, or literally anyone else that lives in the United States. Well, it seems like a good business model from for Joe who needs a job just writing guarantees for, you know, the, the packers, basically. Yeah, I, I don't understand how... Um, I don't understand how these things happen, honestly. Like, it yeah. just seems... It just seems, like, impossible to, to progress, which is probably the point for one side. Um, so as one paper wrote, the original food and drug legislation had seemed a relatively honest attempt at regulation modeled on successful laws already in place in Europe. But by the time Roosevelt had signed the bill, it had become perverted into a gift to the food processors and chemical manufacturers. So with that disappointing victory out of the way... Let's take a look at some more Poison Squad results. In January 1907, Wiley released round three of the Poison Squad results about sulfurous acid. Okay. So, Everett, we're getting into some chemistry here. We are. Sulfurous acid and sulfuric acid are different things. Yes, they are. Um, Sulfurous acid is easier to handle and a weaker acid. Yeah. It has a double bond. Mm. To the oxygen, um, whereas sulfuric acid does not. Right, so the hydrogens come off that much easier. Basic, yeah, so we've got H2SO3 versus H2SO4. Mm-hmm. So, yes, yeah, so just that it's not sulfuric acid. That is the best thing I can say about sulfurous acid. It's yeah. still probably not a good thing to put in your body, as Wiley proved. Sure. Um, it was used on fruit to brighten the color and to ward off insects and prevent fermentation. They also used it in syrup, molasses, smoked wheat, meats, wine, and to disinfect the winemaking equipment. I think it's interesting that they thought that something should be used as a disinfectant, but then also put in your body. Yeah, those... No one's ever, ever suggested such stupid things before. Oh, yeah, Not never. even last year. Um, so, I not to dwell on that, um, Wally is really starting to take a hard stance on these chemicals. Like, every result is worse than he even expected. And he he is ready to just say enough with all of them. None of them. So he has been working with some committees to try to put the language, enforcement language in place. And he's had moderate success. Okay. They're very slowly starting to, like, ban or reduce levels of certain things. So there's some successes happening. Um, back to the sulfurous acid, only nine out of the 12 volunteers made it to the end. Well, it's better than It's better than some of them, yeah. Um, But Wiley thought that the relations of sulfurous acid to health are perhaps of greater importance than those of any preservative already studied. And it was so important, not because it was so injurious, like it wasn't the worst of the worst, but because manufacturers used it for everything. So you're getting a lot of it. throughout your throughout your day because it's in everything um manufacturers argued it shouldn't be regulated because quote its use approaches a necessity that's you should be allowed to kill people if you really need to to save money right that's a good argument yeah well obviously so in this study the one thing that's different is that wiley did have to pause the study Three volunteers, the three volunteers that dropped out, actually dropped out 
while it was paused because everyone was getting so sick. So those three dropped out. They took a few weeks off and then the rest continued. Okay. So it might be just as bad as the other ones, but they took a break because everyone was just too sick. Um, and at the time this report was released, Wiley's Law was a few weeks from going into effect. It wasn't going into effect until uh, late January 2000, or 2007, <laughs> 1907. Um, so as you know, still time for the opposition to make it worse. Sure. At this time, there was a group of Republicans called themselves the Stand Patters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They resisted any law that would make changes away from the, quote, more noble 19th century approach to government. <laughs> they wanted to stand still in time and never move on. That's noble. Almost needless to say, the Stand Patters did not like this bill. And they went to work. And were able to slash the first year enforcement funding to only $700,000. Wow. So that doesn't come close to covering the food inspection program. Nor does it come close to having money for enforcement. Zero dollars literally for enforcement. What's the point of inspections if you can't enforce them? Right. Then we hit a real big bump in the road because Wiley's own department starts to turn against him. His boss, the Secretary of the Department of Agriculture, James Wilson, hired a second chemist without telling Wiley and started to use him as kind of a political tool instead of a scientist. He created a board that was going to make all decisions by majority rules, and he appointed to the board Wiley himself and his new chemist. Hmm. Majority rules. So more and more decisions were changed behind Wiley's back. He would refuse to sign decisions he didn't agree with that they changed their minds on, but it didn't matter because two out of the three. Yeah. He was outvoted on most things. Uh, Rules that, you know, were actual rules that they managed to kind of get cobbled together, like less than 11 milligrams of this in this. No, it went to don't put excess amounts of it in, which is impossible to enforce. Yeah. Because first you should define what excess is, but they purposely removed that. Um, So finally, Wilson gave Wiley a bit of an ultimatum. Told him that the agricultural department is dedicated to the support of agribusiness. And he expected Wiley to do a better job of remembering that. In other words, stop. Stop it. Shut up. Stop complaining. Stop saying anything. And just help the farmers grow more food. Yeah. But not completely deterred, Wiley forged ahead with his Poison Squad research. Uh, He was getting ready his new report on sodium benzoate, which was due to be released in 1908. And the National Food Manufacturers Association uh, sensed trouble. They put sodium benzoate in a ton of things as a preservative. They wanted to try a proactive approach this time to stop Wiley from even releasing the report. They contacted Roosevelt, they contacted Secretary Wilson, they contacted every legislator they thought was sympathetic to their cause, and they argued that Wiley was biased against 20th century innovation. He was accused of being radical, of being impervious to reason, and determined to destroy legitimate business. Well, sounds like it. Yeah, that was his one mission. Mm-hmm. Business should be allowed to poison people. Yeah. So stop telling them you can't. in my pocket. So Roosevelt left this matter up to Wilson. Hmm. 
When, uh, when he was asked about Wiley's findings, Wilson did respond, Dr. Wiley made extensive investigations in feeding benzoated goods to healthy young men, and in every instance, he found that their health was undermined. Upon hearing that, Roosevelt had a bit of a reaction, which Wiley wrote about in his journal, so I'll read to you the passage. On hearing this opinion, the president turned to the protestants, struck the table in front of him a stunning blow with his fist, and showing his teeth in the true Rooseveltian fashion said, Gentlemen, if this drug is injurious, you shall not put it into food. So, you know, a little bit of a temper tantrum. And then one of the manufacturers present kind of made a flippant remark, like, what's next? You're going to ban everything that goes in food next. Like, what are you going to, what are you going to pick on next? Saccharin, which, you know, sugar substitute. Yeah. Yeah. And that remark made Wiley lose his temper and say something he was going to regret for decades. <laughs> so he lashed out. He says he believes saccharin was indeed injurious and maybe they should ban it next. And Roosevelt apparently takes offense at everything because his doctor had just advised him that he should be eating saccharin instead of sugar to avoid the diabetes because hmm. Roosevelt was described as a corpulent fellow. Yeah. So he needed to have less sugar anyways. So then Roosevelt took this as some kind of personal insult or something. Sure. And says to Wiley, anyone who says saccharin is injurious to health is an idiot and ends the meeting and storms off. And he must have been really mad because he actually gave the manufacturers what they asked for. A scientific review board that would reassess all of Wiley's research. Starting with the sodium benzoate and saccharin. Manufacturers would apply to have a hearing with the review board, and while they waited for that to actually happen months later, they were allowed to keep putting whatever they want into the food. Of course. Instead of what Wiley's suggestion, which is, if we don't know if something is safe, we should stop putting it in food until we do the research to prove it's safe. Science. <laughs> but didn't work. Didn't work well. Um, this board was generally in favor of businesses, played politics, all the things Wiley did not want to do. Um, Wiley ended up saying the creation of this board was the cause of nearly all the woes that subsequently befell the pure food law. And after all this, the Sodium Benzoate Report was finally published. Maybe not with full government support, but we'll get there. Wiley was actually shocked by his results. He had gone in thinking Sodium Benzoate was going to be relatively safe. Um, and he only had three volunteers last to the end of this trial. Um, it produced really serious metabolic disruptions, burning sensations in the throat and esophagus, pains in the stomach, dizziness, bad taste, and nausea. 11 out of the 12 volunteers lost weight by the end of the trial, and the recovery was really painful and slow. Um, they just weren't getting better after they stopped eating it. Hmm. So while they recommended it be immediately removed from any food production... But Wilson just continued to kind of work against him. He was, like, silencing articles while he was written, and now he's squelched two other Poison Squad reports on copper sulfate and saltpeter. It turns out he had tried to suppress the sodium benzoate report. He told Wiley it shouldn't, it should never, will never, would never be published. Give up, Wiley. It's not going to happen. So, shockingly, it did get published. Yeah. Wiley blamed it on the like a printer publisher error. 
I'd already sent it there before you told me. And then I sent them a mail saying not to publish it. It's not my fault. They did it anyways. Yeah. The printer actually contacted Wilson and apologized for the error. Said that was our bad. Not his fault at all. But Wilson really just didn't buy it. He sure. knew Wiley had friends everywhere. Everyone in all... Honestly, everyone in government that wasn't, like, above Wiley idolized him. They loved him. He was beloved by all the clerical staff because, as you know, clerical staff were women oh. solely. Makes this sense. Is, this I is hadn't 19, thought about that, This is the early sure. 1900s. And Wiley had the utmost respect for women. He, like, his parents had sent all their daughters to university in the 1800s. His parents brought him up to view women as equals, which, as you know not common opinion in the day and age. So he treated the clerical staff with a lot of respect and they really, they would do anything for him. That's why all the women's groups loved him. He wanted to tell them what was going on. He knew they were in charge of the households. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he had a lot of friends and Wilson, Wilson knew that this was subterfuge, but sure. couldn't prove it. So left it alone for now. But perhaps some of this animosity is coming from Wiley's increasing activism. Because he had really started harping on the fact that food safety is a social justice issue. Um, he liked to remind everyone that the wealthy could easily afford fresh food and the poor can't. So what we're really saying here is the poor should have bad health because they're poor. Right. And as much as that's a popular opinion in some circles, Wiley was thinking that food was a basic human right and everyone should have equal access to nutrition that won't hurt them. Uh oh, sounds like socialism. It does, yeah. His boss Wilson did not like that. <laughs> no. So when the, there's just a ton of drama behind the scenes. I'm not going to recount everything. It's a lot of little little ticky tacky stories all throughout. But just they're not getting along. They're butting horns. It's public. Public knows about all of this friction. Newspapers wrote about it constantly. They really painted things as Wiley being like the defending hero, defending the public from the big bad government that doesn't care about them, which wasn't far from the truth at all. Sure, but, but Wilson really didn't like that. Right. <laughs> she painted as the villain in this story. Um, the public was outraged at all the rumors that Wiley might be fired. And perhaps that's why he was actually allowed to release his next Poison Squad report. Uh, this one's on formaldehyde. Hmm. And at this point, thanks to how toothless the food safety law really was, formaldehyde was still being used in milk. Like, especially, like, copious amounts in the summertime. Right. And every single member of the formaldehyde poison squad got sick during this trial. And the... I don't want to say interesting, because it's pretty bad, but, yeah, the interesting thing is, unlike all these other preservatives... Um, we are not limiting this to mainly gastric symptoms. Like, this is mainly neurological. They had insomnia, headaches, dizziness, vertigo, and then all the, you know, nausea, vomiting, severe weight loss. But it's interesting how much of a neurological effect the formaldehyde was having. Um, all the urine samples showed calcium oxalate crystals, which that's what can build up to form kidney stones. It can cause permanent damage to kidneys. Uh, blood samples showed immune system damage. So really, really bad news. But the good news is that the scientific review board actually now decided to ban chemical preservatives in food like borax and boric acid and formaldehyde. They didn't list everyone Wiley was worried about, but they started to list things. Okay. Um, 
the Poison Squad reports were clearly having their intended impact. But the review board really didn't want to ban sodium benzoate. They don't care what the report said. So it was just too important to, to industry. Um, in fact, in early 1909, the food manufacturers tried this new plan. They started planting stories in papers all around the country, talking about how, oh, studies have been done, and look at all these numbers showing how high food poisoning has gone up since we took all the preservatives out of foods. And it's so unfair that these things were being attacked when they were things keeping us safe, and they went on and on. And finally, one of the state doctors was actually able to prove that these were false reports, never happened. They're making things up, but, you know, damage is done, public perception. Yeah, it, sure. was, it was tough, um, but they public backed Wiley. They were still, they were sure that, they didn't know what was going on, but they were sure Wiley did was the important part. Three of the, three of the board members, the scientific review board, actually did their own studies on sodium benzoate with volunteers, just like the Poison Squad. They loosely followed that. Um, they reported tons of instances of nausea, dizziness, vomiting, diarrhea. But luckily, there was a reason for all those illnesses. So none of them had to be the result of sodium benzoate. You know, like good reasons. Like, it was the hot, dry New England summer. Or the change of scenery upset his constitution. Or the change of customs. His routine was all messed up. Or... He wasn't sleeping well while attending the study. That's the only reason he has these symptoms. Anyway, so they just explained literally every illness. And they're like, see, it's safe. Yeah. <laughs> really good science here being done. This was all reported in the papers. Uh, kind of like spurred the formation of new powerful consumer advoca- advoca- advocacy. Darn, that's hard to say. That's advocacy groups. Yeah. Um, and food purity groups, and it was good because there was a lot more public involvement and campaigning on their part. But Wiley was still being held up by Wilson, like, at every turn. Uh, he refused to let him testify at state hearings or lawsuits he was requested for. He refused to let him republish his report on benzoids. He blocked his reports on bleached flour, glycerin, spoilage, frozen and dried eggs, arsenic and candy, and medicated soft drinks. Gotta keep that cocaine in there. Yeah. Of course. Wilson also went to the National Dairy Convention that summer, and he demanded they schedule an open ballot vote on the issue of sodium benzoate and its safety in food. Because we all know that the food producers should be the ones voting on what's safe Uh, in their food. mm -hmm. Um, And it was well known, not spoken of publicly, mind you, but well known that Secretary Wilson was going to withdraw funding to anyone who voted against him. That's why he wanted an open ballot. A few members walked out in anger over this, but most stayed and played along and went, you know, voted yes because they wanted the money. Of course. So a little aside here, some good news. Wiley gets engaged in 1910. Good for him. To a suffragette who was very active in that scene. Mm-hmm. And then the headline in the Chicago Tribune actually read... Dr. Wiley will take a bride. Pure food expert to dessert cafes for home-cooked meals. Fiance not terrified. <laughs> don't... <laughs> I don't... I'm glad she I wasn't terrified. I don't know why. I, I can't understand why that would have been, like, a thing to include as, like, the byline for the heading. Like, it's so important that you had to even put it in, like, the subheading. Like, why? Uh, I don't know. 
<laughs> so in 1911, a new study on saccharin actually came out of Columbia University because they weren't being suppressed by Secretary Wilson, mind you. Um, and actually convinced Secretary Wilson to declare saccharin and an adulterating food additive, which would now be restricted. This got Monsanto involved. Mm -hmm. um, their lawyers rushed to Washington and convinced Wilson to just push the ban start date. 30 six, years? Six more months. Oh, just okay. until January 1912. Please, we need more time. You know, this is all we do. We need to switch gears. We're totally trying to change. Um, and that kind of hush-hush meeting that happened was leaked to the press. Okay. Which Wilson did not want. Yeah. Right. Uh, journalists had just blown open two big scandals in the agricultural department involving Wilson and even implicating Taft, who was now the current president, by the way. Okay. Roosevelt was done for now. Um, Wiley was actually kind of blamed as a scapegoat for one of the incidents. Um, so it was basically like a pay scandal where they used to pay, uh, under Roosevelt, they used to pay their scientific experts $20 a day for their testimony. Okay. And the new administration had dropped that to $9. And the scientists said it took their own money now to travel to testify. They're not going to do it anymore. So they couldn't find any scientists to testify. Right. So while they thought we could get around this problem by paying them a yearly salary, kind of putting them on a retainer. Yeah. He got that all signed and like signed off by Wilson. Everything seemed fine until um, the journalist uncovered this improper use of funding, which Wiley did not know was improper use of funding because he did everything by the book. Anyways, they blamed it on Wiley. And uh, long story, long, long, long story short, Wilson actually wrote to Taft asking his permission to fire Wiley. I think we probably all saw this coming. Yep. Surprised it took that long. But surprisingly, Taft denied permission. Taft had just come out of like a huge national parks scandal. And he kind of felt one more big scandal is going to tank him. So he needs to step lightly. Right. But he really did want Wiley to stop. <laughs> he, he also, he was, a, he was a hardcore conservative, Taft. And Wiley was a progressive. Yeah. Um, so Taft... Instead, told Wilson, you have to at least start due process. If you're going to charge someone with improper money, whatever, you have to charge them. You have to do all these things. You have to do this properly, and then we can get rid of him the right way so no one can claim scandal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So one of Wiley's employees got this news. He was away at the farm with his wife and newly, I think, newly pregnant, newly pregnant bride. Um, one of his employees drove out there. Delivered him the papers that had the, you know, news of his accusation, the list of his charges, the, you know, their evidence. They're informing Wiley that they intend to do this investigation, which would end in his termination, yada, yada, yada. Wiley actually had a pretty strange reaction to this. He leapt to his feet and waved the papers in the air and yelled, victory, victory. And I, seems weird. But in a complete plot twist, Wiley explains that for years. They've been these rumors of plots against him, and now he feels like they handed him the evidence that he needs to take them down because there's evidence in there that they couldn't have get unless they went in his locked filing cabinets through his office. And there's trumped up charges he felt he could slam dunk disprove with legitimate files and evidence. 
he was he was feeling pretty good about this. Um, he thought that this is going to be a great weapon if he could just use it right. He actually said, now we need no defense. I am planning an attack. So as is the apparently only way to get things done at all, he leaks the story to a trusted reporter at the New York Times. Mm -hmm. He gave them all the evidence that Wilson had approved of Wally's pay request. He gave them evidence that spies had entered his home and office to retrieve documents they didn't have any legal right to. Right. He gave them evidence that Wilson was vastly overpaying his handpicked scientific expert, experts on his review board. They were making two to three times what Wiley made. They had no credentials, half of them. And they had a fat expense accounts. About half their salaries worth. Wow. And, and so another pro pure food journalist dug up some juicy info on how the entire pay scheme, the system for paying the scientific review board was actually illegal. The bill that created them had never... Anyways, very confusing politics stuff. They weren't supposed to be paid out of the Agriculture Department's fund. There was no room in the budget for them to be paid. Like, you know, things were going downhill here. Um, it came out that Wiley had advised Wilson that this was an issue. Wilson had advised Taft that it was an issue. And they both went, eh. But I did find this funny, this list of things that the expense accounts had been paying for, for the scientific board. Things like ice cream, fancy Belgian peas, electric griddles, furniture, horoscope readings, That's, yeah. dogs, and even a pet monkey had come out of the scientific review board's expense account. No, no, definitely not lab animals. I looked into that because I was thinking that might be a thing if you were doing... No, a pet monkey. Yeah. You got to let them hang out with you in order to eat the food to, you know, see how it goes. You have to... Well, like that monkey in Indiana Jones that eats the poison date. He yeah. saved their lives. That's right. And he yeah. wasn't a lab animal. That's true. He was a pet monkey. That's right. Legitimate expense. So in the end, the committee that reviewed all this found no wrongdoing on Wiley's part. And then Taft publicly yelled at Wilson for daring to think that chemists could be trying to defraud the government. Seems kind of harsh when Taft yeah. was behind the scenes agreeing with Wilson, but that's what happens, I guess, when, you know, your boss is the president. They can't take the fall. Yeah. But this did nothing, as you can imagine, to improve the relationship between Wiley and Wilson. Um, Shocking. Wiley was receiving a lot of job offers. His wife, Anna... Um, like I said, pregnant with her first child, was becoming really prominent in the fight for uh, women's suffrage. She was on all sorts of executive national boards. Uh, so in 1912, after 29 years in the government, Wiley retired. He gave Wilson no notice, sent him a letter saying, I'm done. I'm done. This is untenable. You suck. But no, he didn't say that because he was mm -hmm. being very polite. Um, he took a job on uh, a lecture circuit, touring and talking about pure food. So he was determined to not give up the fight. He just knew that the situation in the department was intolerable. There was no way around it. He knew he was beat. Mm -hmm. But Wiley's departure really emboldened the food manufacturers. They knew he was the one thing holding them up from being able to push anyone around the way they wanted to. So... Adulteration and contamination really ran unchecked for a while, and it was it was getting pretty bad. It was getting too pre-law, like there was nothing, nothing going on. It was like the law wasn't passed at all. But 
here's what actually changed things is when Woodrow Wilson took office. Because then James Wilson was out as the agricultural secretary. Right. So in the end, really, Wilson was the one. He's kind of the villain of the story because he was supposed to be a civil servant. <laughs> he's clearly um, cares more about the business side of things. The new secretary, David Houston, was on the side of science. And the new chemist they picked was... Um, they didn't expect him to be so much like Wiley. Sure. But it turns out he was. They thought that he'd play with them po- politically a bit. And he turned out to be all hard science and leave me alone. I just care about science. So those things boded well for actually getting some stuff done. The rules started to be enforced more and more. Uh, more dangerous substances were regulated, banned, add to the list. They slowly passed these, like, you know, one at a time. This should now be banned. This should now be banned. Uh, big business just didn't have a free pass anymore. The government took companies like Monsanto and McCormick and Coca-Cola to court. Uh, they charged them with adulteration, all sorts of things. And Wiley began writing and editing for Good Housekeeping magazine. Um, he wrote in a statement, Women are intelligent human beings who are the most important allies in the fight for pure food. Like he knew they were the ones most likely to listen to the science. He knew yeah. they were willing to fight for the causes they believed in. And he knew that they are going to protect their families. So he found good housekeeping to be the perfect avenue. And he was constantly criticized for writing things. You're writing for women. You should stop using all those big words. You're writing for women. You should stop. Anyway, then he was very like quick to shut this down and be like, women have brains just as, just as good as we do. Like, right. suck a lemon, you know. Um... He wrote articles about food science in there. He updated the women on the progress of the laws and what was happening. And it really helped increase that public pressure on the government. But he was pretty angry. Like, he felt like he was given the short end of the stick at every turn. And that he had fought his whole life for something that still not really achieved. And he knew, he just knew everyone around him was impeding public health for their own um, gain. Yeah. So he, at age 82, 1929, writes this tell-all book, raging against the government, the industry. He complained about the ignominy and disgrace of great scientific men bending their efforts to defeat the purpose of one of the greatest laws ever enacted for protection of the public welfare. The government had gotten it wrong on everything. That was his opinion. But he did realize he didn't want this angry diatribe to be his last like written works sure he hired an autobiographer he uh, he worked with him they created a really nice autobiography that unfortunately wasn't released until a few months after wiley passed away in 1930 okay uh, his tombstone is in arlington national cemetery it says father of the pure food law quick don't tell roosevelt yeah roosevelt was roosevelt was still alive yeah roosevelt was still alive no, Roosevelt was dead. I don't remember. Did he die uh, in World War One or World War Two? World uh, War Two, right? I don't know this. I don't remember. World War One. <sighs> okay. Right after World War One ended, he died. I'll like a month you. after. Maybe. That's my guess. Okay. And then <laughs> in nineteen thirty seven, over a hundred children died of food poisoning after taking cough syrup. Oh. It was discovered to be diethylene glycol. Which is the active ingredient in antifreeze? Yes. The newly formed FDA, the new oh. thing, investigated and found out that 
under the 1906 law, cough syrup was not required to be tested for safety. Seems like a little bit of an oversight. The only charge they could possibly level was for mislabeling. You mislabeled it. You didn't write that that was an ingredient. Hmm. That's all you can say. Um, you say oversight. No, but I, mean, I can guarantee intended. you it was on purpose by somebody. Yeah, right. Yeah. This tragedy really spiraled into the national scandal, which finally, finally this did the trick. In 1938, they passed the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. It had all the standards Wiley would have loved to see. It had specific stat- like uh, ingredients. It had amounts. It had everything. It was a pretty good law for its time. Uh, didn't keep up as well as the rest of the world did after that, but sure. I'm definitely not getting into that. <laughs> so there you have it. The U.S. achieved some passable food safety laws in 1938. Now, unfortunately, Wiley didn't live long enough to see it. Right. Um, and of course, nothing is perfect. Like I was saying, there are areas that definitely need improvement, but like any law in any place, really. And so... To illustrate this, I did promise I would find something interesting to talk about at the end of this series that was somehow related to food or chemistry or whatever. Okay. Wow. I think I've done it. I think this is interesting. So here's a modern day example of food adulteration in the USA. Okay. So in November 2008, the CDC noticed a multi-state outbreak of salmonella that would eventually affect 46 states and infect over 20,000 people and kill nine at least 166 people were hospitalized and they traced the source of the outbreak to the peanut corporation of America. I'm going to call them PCA because that's a long name. Okay. The facility in Blakely, Georgia. So PCA was a smallish business that sold industrial sized containers of peanut butter and peanut products to snack food manufacturers and schools and the military and nursing homes. And as you can see, that's a lot of vulnerable populations, old and young and sick. Yeah. PCA claimed this is an isolated problem. I don't know what happened, but clearly there's some bad batch of something. We're so sorry. It'll never happen again. After 46 states worth. Yeah, it just, yeah, I mean, okay, it just one came big from batch. one plant, okay. whatever, right? That, that was their claim. Um, one of PCA's former employees turned whistleblower, went on Good Morning America and told everyone, you think that's bad, you should search the place in Plainsview, Texas. Oh, that's good. So Plainsview, Texas had Plainview, not Plainsview, Plainview, I think. Sure. Had a flooded basement, rats, a hole in the roof that dripped rain contaminated with bird poop down into the production area. <laughs> does this sound like 1909 again? It kind of does. A little bit. Um, the plant wasn't licensed for food production, and it never had an inspection, probably because it wasn't licensed for food production. Right, so it was off the radar. Yeah. So... The Texas Department of State Health Services shut down the plant in 2009, recalled everything the plant ever produced and anything made with the peanut butter and peanuts that they produced. Right. That was around 4,000 different products. It was one of the largest food recalls ever in the United States, and it cost more than a billion dollars in lost revenues for all these businesses sure. that had been using these products in their manufacturing. Of course. Um, and now in February 2009, the CEO of PCA, Stuart Parnell, appeared in front of a House committee. They had, you know, held hearings to, to figure out what had, get down to the bottom of this, what had gone sure. on. 
also information had come to light that PCA had knowingly shipped peanut products that tested positive for salmonella. And they had done so on multiple occasions. It's a good standard. Stuart Parnell, of course, is trying to defend himself. A House representative put a bunch of the recalled peanut products into a jar, offered it to Parnell and asked if he would eat some of them. Parnell says, I plead the fifth. I don't want to incriminate myself. You can't make me eat those peanuts. Yikes. Two days later, PCA declared bankruptcy. Uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. This case led to the Food Safety Modernization Act of 2010, because they definitely needed needed an update here. Uh Um, Eventually, it led to criminal charges. Eventually. took a while. So in February 2013, Parnell, his brother, other PCA executives were indicted on 76 criminal counts. Uh, The trial happened in August 2014, and Parnell was found guilty of conspiracy to commit mail fraud, wire fraud. No, I'm sorry. Conspiracy to commit mail fraud, conspiracy to commit wire fraud. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Conspiracy to introduce adulterated and misbranded food into interstate commerce. Multiple counts of introduction of adulterated food into interstate commerce. Multiple accounts of introduction of misbranded food into interstate commerce. Sure. Multiple counts of mail fraud, multiple counts of wire fraud, and two counts of obstruction of justice. So oh. he got a 28-year prison sentence. Oh. It seems like a lot of charges for 28 years. I don't know how all of this works, but... Okay. 28 years might be out of reach. Because here's what just happened. This year, just a few months ago, um, he served. he served six years right now. He was successful in having his appeal heard. Okay. Now, the appeal was on the grounds that Georgia's peanut-growing counties, where the trial was held in Georgia, Georgia's peanut-growing counties were hostile towards Parnell because PCA had poisoned their customers and tainted their industry's reputation. Okay. So the lawyers said it was unfair to have the trial there. They were already biased. And Parnell's trial attorneys should have known that. They should have filed a change of venue motion. And so his lawyers were incompetent. And so he should get his sentence overturned. I mean, I followed the words you said. Well, it's not fair that the people he did bad things to are mad at him for doing those bad things. It wasn't proven at the time he'd done them. I can see a little bit of both sides, but it really just makes me yeah. really mad. So um, what's happened now is that Purcell, or Parnell is trying to get the last 22 years of his sentence overturned. And the judge is set to release a decision at the end of July or early August. So, so we'll if I out. do hear about it, I will, I will let you know. Okay. Um, but he might just be another rich person that gets a slap on the wrist and gets to go home. All right. Well, I guess that could can be what keeps you on the edge of your seat for the next few weeks. Yes, until I tell you about this famous peanut criminal and what happens next. So I do want to say thank you very much for sticking with us through all four parts of that historical epic. Mm -hmm. Um, Next time, we're going to talk about Calatricidae, which is a really cool family of monkeys, the marmosets and tamarins. Um, they don't get the attention they deserve and there's some really awesome like genetic chimerism and other yeah. very specialized be- behaviors that happen with them, those monkeys. 
Um, so yeah, I want to kind of remember that from school, learn more about it and tell you all about it. Sounds like fun. Thank you so much for listening to Teach Me Something. I'm Melissa. And I'm Everett. And I hope you learned something new. Mm-hmm.